What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. Joining me in the studio today, as usual, is Jonathan Hall. Hey, guys and girls and anyone else, dogs, puppies, kittens, whatever, whoever's listening, hi. All are welcome. All are welcome. I'm today's host, Will Button, and joining us also today is Ava Naini. How are you? In the name of God, the compassion of the merciful. Hello, everybody. And nice to meet you all remotely. Well, it's nice to meet you. We're excited about this. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a founder. I've I've worked in technology for about 12 years. My career started as a quality engineer at Salesforce. And then I wanted to build things. So I became a developer. Over time, I realized that I want to do more. And I want to basically exercise my human side, my people side. I didn't want to always be at the desk and my coding. So the world wanted me for more. And I left Salesforce and I started pursuing my own path. And down the path, I started working as a consulting engineer. Again, uh, to pursue my path of working with people more and customer success division seemed like a more suitable fit for me. And when I was working at Confluent, I was able to realize market gaps and product gaps when it comes to monitoring and performance testing distributed systems, which is pretty challenging when it comes to looking at many, many metrics or configuration these systems have. have. As a result, I created Pulse Operation and Pulse. The first product is a machine learning engine that predicts and detects anomalies and is going to be paired with the UI and tooling that's required to basically monitor and have insight, a better insight into performance of um, Confluent Platform. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Wow. That's, let me let me see if I can rephrase that just to make sure I understand. You've built a, a monitoring and observability platform that uses machine learning for testing distributed systems. I built is a little bit of a strong word. It's a concept. I, I built a POC for, for the UI to be able to explain the concept. So it's like a clickable POC. Um, the patent, I have a provisional patent and I'm submitting utility end of this month because the ML part is really something that a lot of people are trying to figure out as well as the fault tolerancy of the tool. Because when you are having a monitoring tool paired with this infrastructure tool that is at the core level, Confluent usually sits at the core of distributed system. Core is the riskiest it's the most important piece of software because it's the backend that supports everything else. So you can imagine when you're building a monitoring suite for that, 
you want that to be another layer of like fault tolerance, fault, fault tolerance and accuracy. And despite the fact that there are many tools in the market that provide monitoring for Confluent Platform, during my consultancy, I, I realized what I really need is now being provided to me with the quality of UI UX, especially navigation, because oftentimes DevOps end up looking at 20 metrics in one single view. And human brain is just not equipped to process that many visual cues at the same time. So there needs to be prioritization. There needs to be beauty in the UI. This is really something that's um, it's my feminine side. I think it's very important to have flowy and beautiful UI UX where people are spending time to learn, really, as I said, the insight to, to learn how to distribute the system performing. So it, it drives a human more uh, into being more motivated when it's something that's like easy to use. And uh, there, I felt like the focus that it's needed to be there when it comes to detection, anomaly detection, prioritizing metrics, configuration management, all of it at the same time does not exist, plus the fault tolerance and ease of use. Um, so there's a lot more that I can dive into, but i like to give you a chance to ask questions. Yeah, great. I want to start with, in your intro, you said that there are a lot of challenges with monitoring distributed systems. Now, I, I've worked with distributed systems, so I, I can guess what some of them are, but I'd love to hear what you think the main challenges are that your that your concept addresses. Sure. The main challenge is a number of configuration metrics. The, the, usually in the past, when you wanted to set up a system, there were like five to ten things that we needed to know how to set it up. But now it's becoming 20 to 50 to be able to say, this is production ready. I have confidence in this. So oftentimes when you are starting a project, for example, on Confluent or other tools even, I'm not saying it's only specific to Confluent, it could be a major uh, issue in the field. You have a certain amount of time to basically configure and get it to deployment, get it into different environments. And in that stage, you... There's no way you would have all the knowledge about the metrics and configuration. So you want some of those decisions to be predetermined for you, and you want to have a centralized place for knowledge. Now, I'm not saying knowledge is not there. Knowledge is scattered. And gathering that together in a tool so that it's condensed and centralized, and it's already that a lot of decisions has already have already been pre-made for you, needs to happen. And that's something that I felt is missing. Like I've seen architects, software engineers, DevOps, they kind of take the random path. And when you take (laughs) a random path, it's really hard to build confidence. And when you don't have confidence, you don't want to have production issues. And that's unfortunately many, many times happens. And it's, um, it creates a lot of, to be transparent, a a lot of anger, resentment. And the worst part is it's preventing knowledge from development, lack of having centralized library for understanding it tool before you try to launch or deploy it blocks the development of knowledge because fear is the first thing that's created in people's mind as they don't know and there's no way for them to find out unless they have like one year before and usually people don't have that much extra studying time you know so i feel like knowledge is missing at times centralized powerful knowledge that's categorized is missing so there has to be a certain frame of mind that needs to be established nice i, I can keep asking questions but i want to give you a chance will no, go for it. Go for it. I'm I'm soaking all this in, thinking what a right. just like it, it really resonates with me. Like how how much time I've spent on incidents and production outages, just looking for information, and and I always have a lot of confidence. I mean, it's not based on anything; it's completely unfounded, but I do have confidence. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it takes a very long time to get to that. You know, the the speed of the this it would take at least as a, it takes a 
a year or two to develop their confidence. So in the initial phase yeah. of the project, let's say if they want to roll out within six months, and I've onboarded teams before, the, they kind of, they do their studies, but again, because the central tool does not exist and the decisions are not made for them, they often need to make too many decisions. And uh, when we have like, we don't want to reinvent the wheel, you know, as engineers, we are all about optimization. So let's say if you have 10 different groups search trying to do the same things and they go through the same cycle for like, six months, how can you basically shorten that cycle and provide that centralized knowledge so that six months is one month now, you know? So that's optimizing human learning when it comes to making so many technical decisions for the confidence to be built faster, for incidents to be prevented. And system status monitoring is another thing that Pulse is equipped with, to, equipped with which you mentioned as part of my idea because um, I talked about prioritization. So we have 20 charts. We oftentimes have more than 20 charts in four. Like for Confident Platform at the core, I believe there's like maybe up to 40 metrics. There's more. There's way more than that. But let's say out of that 40, like 10 are important. So when you have an incident, how can your UI elastically shows you what is causing it or bring the correlated metrics that are abnormal to the front view so you don't have to look for it. It actually does that for you basically ahead of time. Basically following the human intuition, following your human intuition <laughs> ahead of time. So you said that this is at the proof of concept stage. Talk to us a little bit about where the project is and what your next steps are. Data. There is at the POC stage, the idea actually started in 2021 with the, the, because the learning model needs data to be able to test it and experiment it. And we haven't mm-hmm. been able to get access to metrics data for confident platform with incident reports. And I didn't want to go down the path of simulation. My advisors did not suggest that, and I personally think simulation might not work, but ultimately it might be a path that we have to take to uh, prove, to mm. basically show the engine is accurate enough. Because the, I did machine learning research and my graduate studies for about four years, and I did work with the industry for about two, three years. And um, I was very passionate in my graduate studies about this field, and then I realized some of the research is missing in the industry and there's like this gap between industry and um, academia that's another reason i'm working on post so when it comes to um, getting it to the next stage i want to have data to be able to show the accuracy that is required for industry that's also another reason that we are really not seeing much of the real machine learning tools i would say or expressions really expressions in the field of computer science, we hear about it, but we haven't really be, been able to explore it. And POS is not just, as an idea, it's not just for distributed systems. You can think of a highly accurate machine learning engine. It can predict um, anything. It, it can be used towards bi- biology, healthcare, monitoring any signal. You know, So if you have a highly, highly accurate yeah. engine, you want to monitor somebody's heart rate and like have alerts, you can attach it to and it will do that for you. So... It has to be highly pl- pluggable, so that's the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Now, when it's ready, who, what technology stack will it plug into, or will it be agnostic in that regard? It will be agnostic. It would get uh, the, the idea is that there's metric servers, and these metric mm-hmm. servers basically you just they export the metrics for you. So it's really um, it's really technology agnostic. Confluent platform deals with a lot of libraries, so we really do not deal with the implementation of. The platform, we just deal with data. So you can take, think of us as a data tool in some ways. 
Okay. Right on. So you just take, you accept any data feed and then work with that. Yes, yes. But I wanted to train it with Confluent Platform because it has, there's correlation between metrics instead of like one signal. Mm-hmm. I think it would be something that's uh, more difficult and more challenging, not to only predict anomalies, but also to learn correlations. So it's a little bit of like a higher goal, but I feel like that's what needs to happen. And if I want to get into that a little bit, I, I would say, you can think of Pulse as a model for human cognition. How do, because I, the idea I started when I went to the meetings and I was doing performance testing and I was, I was following my mental model to see how am I looking at the signals, how my mind is searching for things and how can that happen in the implementation in, with the memory, with, um, with trends. You know, I don't know if, um, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of people try to build Pulse for, predicting stock values and I started doing tradings and then that also helped me because I started realizing how am I using the trade and the previous windows or previous day trends and that's the memory concept. So Marco Chain has a memory model as well. So my plan is to use that a little bit as well into it. So it would use a hybrid combination of different methodologies as well as like rich feature extractions. But this would be more into the MF also. Nice. So in your quest for data, is there some way that if someone listening to the podcast has data that um, that you can connect or consume it or they can share it with you? Yes, I would love to. There are a lot of open source data, but if anyone uh, has access to Confluent data, it would metrics data that would be fabulous for us. Or a data set that helps with the correlation. So you know, it's not just one dimensional. The multidimensionality mm-hmm. is what makes it, it makes it a little bit more difficult. And ultimately, uh, I thought maybe we can try building calls with audio data sets. There are open source data sets. So at the moment, I'm looking for someone that's machine learning engineering as well, because what I'm doing for the most part is more like the data science architecture design. I'm re- I really became passionate about systems as part of writing the patents. I like that as well. So, but there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of details in every single components that need to be well thought about. And I feel like for that, I definitely do need help. So if you are listening to me and if you're passionate, interested, or have experienced similar um, issues, challenges, <laughs> And you've learned some lessons. <laughs> I would love to hear them as well. Awesome. I think we need to start a new segment about uh, job search and, and uh, job fulfillment. You know, last last week we had uh, our guests looking for work, and here we have people looking to fill roles. We, we just need to start this as a as a regular segment on the show. <laughs> <laughs> What else can we talk about? I feel like it's, it's almost too big to bite off, right? There's <laughs> too much to talk about. So I want to I want to talk about like no, normally when we have somebody on promoting a product, we talk about what does it take to get started. But your product doesn't quite exist yet, so it's a little bit hard to talk about. You know, what's the onboarding like, and what size team should join, and and what maturity do they need to be at? But it sounds like you're at the minimum you're trying to to help brand new teams to ramp up faster, right? So so. If you're in a startup or or you're going to be starting a startup, then then this would be a product for you. What do you envision to be the the technical knowledge required to use the product? I mean, in other words, do you, do I need a a really technical CTO or or a really technical administrator or or operations person to set this up, or can I just like have my you know, maybe maybe we're a two person shop with a, fr- a full stack developer. Is is it something that they can can really take advantage of too? Sure, sure. The, the normal setup for a specific application is you have an admin for the basically software that you're using that's generating or the tool that you're using that's generating metrics. 
when it comes to Confluent platforms, there is usually a team of like four or five engineers. So they, they would be mm-hmm. the ones who are in charge of deployment and Kafka basically uh, operations. They would be using the tool. So, and uh, okay. we do have a, in terms of you asked about, we do have a product, as I said, it's a clickable POC. So it is mm-hmm. um, more than a concept. That's why I have hesitant, I'm hesitant oh, nice. with the concept because the, the research, I'm not the R&D and I'm more in the research, but uh, in terms of um, product maturity and like visualizing features, I feel like I have a very good frame of mind. And uh, mm-hmm. it's the part that was difficult was con- and is difficult is conveying the idea because sometimes people think like we're trying to boil the ocean. And that can be seen like that, but once you learn the details of the components, it starts becoming more simplified and more than just the concept. So these DevOps people, architects, they start component platform, they've done their deployments, and the next stage is, okay, how can we look into this? Because, again, you're you're running this tool, but you don't have insights and you want to see things, you know, it's like your eyes. So they install Pulse, they tie it together. There's a tool called Kafka tool, which is basically a tool for working with Kafka. And it sort of follows similar um, patterns of, like, installations where you associate the tool with the cluster and then... You set up the alerts, and then uh, you run the configuration report, and then you go. And then it starts running for you, so the magic starts working. And there's disaster recovery as well that I didn't talk about. Okay. Because you want pulse to be fault-tolerant, uh, you want it to basically sort of self-heal itself or like monitor itself as well as the application that it's running on. And if it fails, you want to restore another. You want, uh, we have like a disaster recovery mechanism as well built into it, so it can use the other instance if it Fascinating. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So you said that you have a clickable, what did you call it? Oh, proof of concept. You call it more than that. Yeah. Is that something publicly available or, or that's only that you're showing to... Publicly available, but I feel like it's, it needs to get into a better stage for it to become fully known. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's the stage of, uh, of every early stage startup though, right? <laughs> Always want to do just a few more things. Yes, yes, that's that's what I feel like. We have like imposter syndrome during going through imposter syndrome. <laughs> I'm not feeling it's not perfect enough, and that's why I, this is my effort to break through that a little bit to be able to get more momentum. You know, because I felt, as I said, I felt like initially um, software engineers, me being an engineer, we're sort of like learners. We go into the problem and we start like doing things. <laughs> so. Um, but with time, like it's more that I feel like really for this kind of effort that I initiated, I do need more help and support. It's physically beyond my abilities at times. And skills mm-hmm. as well. There's UI side. So I work with my designer. They were able to help me get it visually a little bit sorted out, but it, it needs more, uh, it needs more engineering work. Are you working on this mostly alone or do you have a team? 
I do have a team in Ukraine that help me with the design part. I do have an advisor and a designer that's pretty advanced. So mm-hmm. and I've had I've worked a little bit with my advisors from the past, but we don't have like full on establishment the way I like it to be, you know. I don't have the pace that I need to say. The pace is a sort mm-hmm. of what I would be happy with. And okay. COVID unfortunately became an issue because I feel like people started closing off themselves when it comes to investment opportunities or uh-huh. the idea is also a little bit overwhelming. Like I've learned towards the mentorship I said programs that I had when I hired different type of roles. Sometimes people can get a little bit overwhelmed. So it took me a while to understand what kind of personalities and skills I need. So to not be a very demanding boss. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I went through, I'm still going through that growing time a little bit. All right. Good. Yeah, there's definitely a, a huge mental shift that you have to go through to switch from being like an employee to launching and running your own business. And Confluent Platform is something that I know we talked a little bit high level, but for this tool, I would prefer to work with people who have gone through the similar journeys as I've gone through with the platform. So intuitively, we were able to communicate telepathically on the issues without having to discuss it. So the reason behind the creation of this tool is um, obvious to the person that's working on because many times people are like, oh, there are monitoring tools, there are anomaly detection tools, but because they haven't worked on this platform hands-on, it's um, it takes a while for them to absorb the reality. And it would really take more than a while. It could take somebody, it took me about two years, I would say, the onboarding term for Confident Platform to say, like, I really understand it. It can take many more years, but, you know, I would say it took about a year or two, or two for me to like, feel comfortable. Right. Well, what else can we talk about? So once you... Um What's the next uh, the next milestone for you in getting this ready to to make it publicly available? The machine learning engineering of research. There's a developing the models, developing yeah. the models. So there there are a lot of research in the anomaly detection space, and that I'm trying to integrate and build as part of it. And plus, I'm trying to add my own flavors to it. When it comes to machine learning, there are two pieces. Um, I hope your audience doesn't do not does not get bored with this, but any machine learning component has two big pieces. One is feature extraction. The other one is the methods and models. So uh, when, how you do pruning in these two phases, how you parameterize your model, that's the secret sauce. So, and for that, you want data and you want actual in place to be able to choose heuristics, you know, so development efforts, obviously, engineering. And I can always use advice from a more experienced mind that somebody that worked in the infra space, I think, auditing possibly some of the things that we're doing. I feel confident, but I feel like more minds, the more minds, more mayors. It will be better for the product to have more ideas. Yeah, cool. Well, hopefully somebody listening hears you talking and they're like, oh, I'd love to do that. And they'll they'll get in touch. That would be great. I think it's a super cool concept. Just the whole, like using machining learning to surface the, the metrics and the data that's relevant to the tasks that you're working on. That's just such a cool idea. I, I don't think I've ever spoken with anyone who's kind of approaching it from this this point of view but after you say it it's like oh well yeah that just kind of makes sense yeah so you would have seen like a, ch- a page with like 25 charts and you were all like oops your brain would have frozen <laughs> maybe i think you would have gone to the same place that's uh and um yeah that's i think the reason my mind i forgot sorry my mind just 
I, I was going to ask, are, are there other products that do something similar that you're aware of? I mean, that we can help com- compare to? Data Dog has anomaly detection. I haven't used it in practice. And when I worked, I haven't heard people using it in practice. And as I said, mm-hmm. Data Dog is a monitoring tool. So there are multiple problems that need to be solved. A monitoring tool versus a monitoring tool for a specific application are completely two different things when that application has a lot of knobs. So, you know, mm. when you have different cars or different service centers that specialize in different cars. So we are that automated service center. I think that's, I never use this analogy, but just came to me. We're that, we're that, we're like, there's BMW service center, there's Jeep. So they understand different things. That understanding is that person minds. So that's why we cannot say they understand the mechanics. That's not going to be enough because the prioritization and the metrics are not present in the data. But, and alerting is something that I believe I I'm not sure if I talked about it briefly. We also do alerting and possible self-healing, but I haven't explored that path too much. It's um, mm-hmm. when I filed the provisional, I had the patent that basically when issues happened, engineers would be like set up the tool, but the, the tool is able to auto-correct before it gets to SREs and cases escalations are filed. And and, and that is said, we would still have notifications for the changes that are made. But we are more preventative and proactive rather than reactive. That is also something that I think helps a lot because it's, you feel like you're confident about the tool and you also have this tool that supports you. The existing tools do not provide that kind of intelligence in their, in the approach that they have or in their, the ease of use, you know. The human element, I feel like it's missing a little bit as well in the design of these tools because sometimes as engineers, we think very analytically. And our mind would just come up with like ideas that may not be very practical. So I feel like I have to bring that. I felt like that's missing was something that needs to be created. If it has to be me or somebody else, it was really missing. For me. And performance testing, I want to touch on this one because I'm very yeah, passionate please. about this one. You know? When we talk about the confidence, confidence comes from having information in our line of work. And to get that information, let's say you are at the pre-product stage or at the, excuse me, at the QA stage. You want to take your tool and now say, this is production ready. Now we can go GA. How can you do that? You have to do some simulations with the load. And uh, I felt the tools that people use are more, or the, their approach and testing is preliminary. They're, it's not advanced enough. Like in my mind, I wanted to have more complicated load testing. or I wanted to have elaborate ways to performances to develop a confidence that, to say that's production ready. And I realized people sometimes skip. And uh, as a result of it, they would not be able to advance or, as I said, the confidence is not at the level it needs to be. They kind of take a chance and sometimes they succeed, sometimes they fail. So I didn't like that. It was, um, I couldn't say, okay, I ran this kind of experiments with similar production loads and this is what I'm seeing. You know, that has to be there, I feel, mm-hmm. for the leadership, especially for the leadership. And uh, I always felt there's a gap between leadership and engineers. And uh, I like to say this one because I feel I really care for DevOps. I felt they're overworked many times. I felt uh, they're abused many times. I felt their sleep and their success is delayed because they are overworked, literally. Like, you cannot put more hours into something and necessarily become more productive. And then on the other side, leaders, maybe they were pushy and they were had they had strict deadlines that they promised to their bosses. And I felt like these forces are um, not fair and justice is missing at times. So how can we be more open about what we need as engineers? So we don't have that communication gap or 
secrecy or pretentiousness at times that I did not like, you know, fake promises that I felt sometimes would be made. So I feel like that's not going to be a path to success. Honesty and truth needs to be there when it comes to like, shipping software that's going to production, enterprise scale, or government or finance or dealing with serious things and many times uh, when we would do uh, when we would uh, do consultancy we would be bombarded with a lot of issues that we didn't even create had something like pulse existed you know yeah i think you touched on one of the things that's really i'm definitely guilty of it of not being able to reproduce accurate production data you know i'll look at production and You've got all these random humans out there using your system. And and I've taken the approach of, well, there's no way we can guess what behaviors and actions they're going to take and what quantities. So we're just going to go to production and deal with it. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there, if there needs to be pivoting along my path, because as I said, it's a learning experience, I will take that. So I wouldn't say... At times, I, I even like questioned ideas. You so said, like, is, is, are people going to like this? But the truth is like that missing, the, a lot of these missing factors that I experienced led to me feeling that something new needs to be born. As I said, I, I have introduction videos that shows I look very tired. And I said, the, the tired look on my face is a proof that something new needs to be born. And it wasn't. <laughs> Yes, I stayed silent for too long and um, as I, said, I overworked myself. It's a habit, you know, I overworked myself because I realized I have to be able to solve this. I spend more time on this if I read more about this. But then I realized there is a bigger effort that hasn't taken place. Like a, a platform has been built with hundreds, I said 50, but if you consider it as a whole, Confident Platform has a core and it has components. Core has a lot of metrics. Components also have metrics and configurations. So you say, I have 100 things that I need to set up and 100 things that I need to monitor. So how am I going to? It's impossible. No? So making impossible possible in new ways using higher intelligence. I can see this being so useful. Many of the places I, I have worked or many of the companies I work with, I specialize working with small small companies and small teams, uh, helping them do, do better software delivery. And usually monitoring is one of the last things that they think about. They're busy fixing the bugs that customers are complaining about. They don't have time to go looking for their own bugs. <laughs> but if you, with a tool like this, I think it, it could really help, especially if it if it's, you know, I mean, yeah, there's Datadog and there's all the other monitoring tools and everybody knows that they need to do that, but yes. it's not, it's, it's not the low hanging fruit, but if you could just throw one tool at it, that would, that would sort of self organize and start giving you useful information. That would be amazing. Sure. And I want to mention this actually, thank you for bringing that up. The accuracy is something that I mentioned many times in writings when, when I discuss posts, because let's say even Datadog, I don't have any knowledge of how accurate the anomaly detection tool is. And I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. good or bad, but that needs to be transparently exposed. So if we had this engine that's like detecting signals anomalies very accurately, we could use it for many, 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 many more applications, not just monitoring the service system. Mm-hmm. As you said, any application that is generating data, anyone want to monitor that data. But how come we don't have that tool yet? And I don't think that tool needs to be very fancy to set up. This is what I like to mention this because I feel the reason that people are hesitant to do monitoring to, is that they're learning tool A. And in order to make sure tool A is good, they need to use tool B. And tool A and tool B are both similar at the level of complexity when it comes to learning them. So when people need tool A, so they forget about tool B, they deprioritize that. But there needs to be tool Bs that are very easy for, as I said, the machine learning is, is there. We develop custom tools based on this for this specific 
A, B, C, D tools that exist. So people can easily use it. They don't have to learn a lot because, again, they, there's a limit to human learning and time and physical abilities of a person at the end of the day. And it, you, can, it doesn't, you cannot just scale by hiring more people because the more people you hire, communication between them is also another task. And I'm not sure if you guys experienced it. Another thing that I, uh, that I was able to observe is that you have different units when you talk about distributed system or you get a little bit more complex where you have teams that develop services, teams that man- manage and monitor Kafka, teams that want to in- involve their services into Kafka. They all have to be able to coordinate if they're using, for example, same or similar clusters. And this human communication also sometimes was not there. So the hope is that it falls instead of not having those communications and making mistakes or not ever like scaling with the two. You can say, this is our tool, this is our capacity, you can see where we are, this is what we can offer to you if you want to use Kafka, this is the leftover capacity that we have based on what we know. So these quest- these conversations are extremely important, and I was able to be part of this as Salesforce. As Salesforce, we would develop custom tools, and before every feature, we would do performance testing. Like, we had different phases. We had planning, then we had development, QA. And um, performance testing, I think, I believe it was after the queuing of the feature function features. And we would spend at least a month at the end of the every release cycle to do performance testing. And I love that because it, that's the confidence. We had like articulate performance plan, articulate scenarios in terms of what we were doing. And when it came to Confluent Platform, I realized customers do not do that. And I was like, how can they say this tool is, how can they feel good about this, not knowing what's happening? <laughs> And then when it falls, they get angry. But you didn't do that. That's my story. Well, it's hidden close to home. (laughs) They're all in the same place. It's like you're pretending there's a pink elephant. (laughs) (laughs) But it is possible, you know, with enough patience, I think, with enough research. And just to say a little bit about my experience with research. Unfortunately, research many times is driven by grant, and um, I don't know if your audience is on Clubhouse. I had this uh, researcher discussing how sometimes people that do scientific research, post require scientific research, they need to feel creatively free so they can flow freely and explore their ideas, you know? That is also something that's important, and I, sometimes I feel like maybe it's not favored in the enterprise space or in the industry as much. But um, as we are going through technology evolution, as we are going through a scalability and exponential complexity of various platforms, we have to start incorporating solid research units with proper time to delegate to the causes that are research-driven to be able to develop these tools. So I feel like 10 years ago, 12 years ago, develop, when I joined as a developer, or I worked even with Discovery Team at Salesforce, so it was more like a machine learning team at the time. So it was sort of like similar to the research organization at the time. But my efforts were mostly development, and I didn't feel like we have much of a, we have data science research, but it wasn't, um, I feel like it didn't meet my standards of research. It, uh, it became either too abstract or it was non-existent at times. So it was irrelevant or too abstract. How can we find the middle ground a little bit more, you know? And that is like a global change, I feel, when it comes to technology companies who have a budget for research inside their companies. I think one of the other unique aspects of this is just coming at it from a different angle. You know, we've talked about everyone has to have monitoring. Say, okay, I plugged into a monitoring service and here's my dashboard with some XY charts and some squiggly lines on it. I'm like, great. 
I did monitoring. And then you kind of just forget about it. And I think the approach that you're taking here is cool because it's, it's like looking at it from not just do you have monitoring, but what monitoring is actually providing meaningful information to you. And it's something if you've been doing this for a long time, like, like we have, you fall into that rut of, Oh, I have to do monitoring. Let me set up monitoring the same way I have for the last 30 years. And so it's, you know, you need that outside fresh perspective to, to have someone to say, wait, why are we doing it this way? We don't have to anymore. Yes. That's exactly what's happening outside of it. And a shift, I would say we're expecting a shift. I feel like maybe that's what's happening. And shifts sometimes take time. It, then it, they're sometimes backed up by a lot of frustration as a push force. So I feel like we're going through that. And um, I, I feel like it, it organically, whether it would be me or somebody else, organically we want to, especially for Confluent Platform, this tool has been developed for um, genetic research. I feel like we're, we're dealing with more amounts of data and we have a lot of data that nobody is physically able to look at it. How can we have better data tools and you know, more centralized and more cost-driven tools? I started familiarizing myself with Databricks, Snowflake, different data tools just to see how they move the data. Confluent calls itself data in motion and um, it's, it's, I would say it's a little bit different when it comes to Confluent Platform because the, it's, Confluent is not cloud tool. It's, uh, all, it also has on-prem instances. So a lot of technologies like finance and government and healthcare that are data sensitive, they use their own private cloud. And even if we develop a very advanced monitoring tool on the cloud, they would not be able to use it. You know, so we have challenges when it mm-hmm. comes to data security there as well. So hosting costs so that it can perform the learning of the customer machines, all of these things have to be thought has to be thought about. Right on. What do you think, John? Any more questions? I just want to know how I can follow this project as it's developing and, and uh, stay up to speed. Sure, you can find our page on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, Alba Naini, and there's a page as well for the for the product called uh, www.pulseops.ai. So we have blogs there. Feel free to interact with our blog. You might have to create, a, create an account. And so feel free to message us, and I will basically loop you in into the efforts that have been going on so far. Awesome. Right on. Well, should we move on to some picks? Sure. All right. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Do you got any ready for us? I have a pick. All right, let's have it. My pick is a tool called Lazy Git. I'm sold already. And I use Git. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little command line. I, I shouldn't call it command line. It's it's a uh, like an incurses based console based Git interface. It's I think it's written in Go, which makes it even better because everything that's written in Go is cool, right? Right. No, that's not. That's totally not true. <laughs> <laughs> some really bad go projects but it, it is written in go but basically it's uh it's on github github.com slash jesse duffield j-e-s-s-e-d-u-f-f-i-e-l-d slash lazy git just google for lazy git that's the, that's the easy way to find it i think it's the first hit most of the time but it you just type lazy git on the command line and it pops up this little multi-window thing that you can quickly tab through i honestly don't know most of what it does 
the, the one thing I really love about it is it makes it super easy to do interactive rebase. So you just, I, I type lazy git and tab twice to the, to the list of commits. And then I can just move my commits up and down on the list. And it, in real time, tries to do a rebase and tells me if there's a conflict or not. So I know gone are the days of typing rebase minus I and then in my editor moving things around and then running through and discovering that there's a bunch of conflicts and I did something wrong and I have to start over again. That never happens anymore. So that's the one feature I use it all the time. I'm sure there's a million other great features. That's the one I use and it makes me happy because I'm lazy and I use Git. <laughs> it makes me anxious. <laughs> <laughs> for sure all right Anna, do you have any picks for us um i like lucid charts i think it's a cloud tool so i was a tool that i wasn't uh, using much i had some fear of design i'd say in the past architect the complexity and then when i started using it um, a little bit more i became comfortable with it and it allowed me to really express my ideas visually and the beauty of expressing your idea visually as you're working especially at the architecture level is that as you're designing you're getting the ideas because you're getting everything out of your mind in front of your face and it's really easy to use it's very very nice i haven't been able to really work with um, such a tool that's like so nice and I would say as, because I'm passionate about like the beauty side of software as well, I always tell my designer, please prioritize beauty and colors. So another tool that that's a power, I guess, in Lucid Chart, I feel like that's what it is. I like the design and Canva is another tool that I also really like. I wrote my children's book, my first children's book. It's called The New Age Language Definitions. If you're interested, it hasn't been published. I'm very close. So that tool also, Canva as well, is very nice with the templates and colors. And I feel like it's a... Um, these tools allow you to get to the self-expression side of yourself, whether it's analytically or like emotionally, very quickly, and they're very easy to use. So I like it helped me a lot with expressing myself. Right on. Yeah, one of the cool things I like about Lucid Chart and other tools like it is you throw that information out there, and for me, like I quickly like come to the reason why something's not going to work. But then if you've laid it out graphically, you can just drag and move things around and it allows you to get your thoughts out there and then organize them quickly that you can't really do with other tools or paper, which is usually my go-to. Yes. yes. And I was used to writing my ideas down, like technical yeah. specifications. I like doing that as well. Like very, again, back to the Salesforce time, I developed all of these skills very articulately because I was there for seven years. So, uh, and I inherently like adopt, take them to different places. The smaller companies, unfortunately, they don't do as good of a job in um, the written <laughs> communication, which I really miss sometimes about Salesforce. And uh, when it came to Lucid, I thought, as you said, that I still feel like when things are a little bit more complicated, there's a gap. And with the visual presentation, I feel like collaboration can be taken into a next collaboration at the architecture level becomes easier. And I felt like and I actually haven't been able to experience it much in my field. But I feel like architects need to start using it more. Or people like myself that were scared before this, they need to start using it more. You know? um, so it's something that can help any engineer to get themselves to the next level. If you just start playing with your random ideas in Lucid Chart, you can come up with the next best thing. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it is. It is yeah. Cool. So my pick for the week. As some of the people listening to the podcast might know, I do videos over on my YouTube channel, DevOps for Developers. And in the past, I have just kind of hit, had an idea, hit record on the camera, and then rolled with it, which 
leads to me wandering off topic every once in a while. And so I just bought the Padcaster and it's, so now I'm scripting out my videos and this thing is so cool. It mounts on the front lens of my camera. And then there's an app on my phone where I script out the video and then put that in this little thing on front of my camera. And it scrolls all the text up in front of the camera lens. So I'm looking at the camera lens. So you think I'm looking at you whenever I'm recording the video, but I'm actually reading the text on the screen. And that's been, that's been pretty cool for helping me keep on topic whenever I'm trying to convey a point, much like I'm doing very poorly right now. So let me cut to the chase. Padcaster for teleprompting. That's my pick. Nice. I've been uh, thinking about teleprompting for my own videos, and I'll check this one out. It's been pretty cool. It's been super cool. Nice. All right. Well, I believe that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a cool conversation. I'm going to go check out your website, and I'm excited to see progress and see where this where this takes you. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. All right. We'll see you guys next time. All right. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.